There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Thursday, June 30th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, we spend the whole episode with Fairfax County Public School Superintendent Scott Brabrand, who leaves his post today after five tumultuous years leading Virginia's largest school system. During our wide-ranging and exclusive interview, he shares his regrets from early on in the pandemic. The reality is... Were we prepared to have this go completely all virtual? Uh, It's clear the record shows that we weren't. And Brebred also speaks freely about his decisions in shaping the new admissions policies at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology and the bitter fight with parents and educators over how to get into arguably one of the best high schools in the country. The accusations that were made against me personally, against members of the school board, were unfair or unjust. Hate won't make America great. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Megan Cloherty. As the arrival of the pandemic rocked every part of our society, schools across the country were thrust into a new reality as well, providing daily virtual instruction. It didn't go smoothly really anywhere, but in Fairfax County, the school system admittedly struggled to provide reliable online access to students. That's where we start our conversation with Superintendent Scott Brabrand. And we're changing things up a bit today, welcoming WTOP's digital editor, Scott Gelman, who has covered virtual learning and schools closely throughout the pandemic. He'll guest host our interview with the outgoing Fairfax superintendent. Scott, take it away. So Superintendent Brabrand, first off, thank you very much for being here and making some time for us as you finish up your tenure as the superintendent of Fairfax County Public Schools. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you all for having me here at WTOP. All right, so we have a lot to cover. So let's start at the beginning of the pandemic. We're just learning about COVID. It's January, February, March of 2020. It's a thing that's happening around the world, popping up on cruise ships in the U.S. Yep. We don't really know a lot. What are you thinking in those first few months before we get to this mm. big shutdown? Yeah. Well, the irony, I don't know if this story has even been told. I guess we're going to share it right now. Break some WTOP. news. I love that. We're going to break we some go. news. We became aware of COVID in January of 2020 because we had a delegation from Wuhan, China, coming to visit one of our middle schools. They were arriving just as news of COVID hit, and there was some question about whether to invite those kids as scheduled. They had already Mm -hmm. arrived and touched down in the United States. We were continuing our plan to welcome them with open arms. But right before we did it, we said, let's just reach out to our community at this particular school to the parents, and just check in with them. This is Fairfax County. Some of our parents there were Chinese immigrants to this country, and they were literally begging the principal. We don't trust our government in China. You have to listen to us. Please, Mm. please find another way. We still had the delegation and had our uh, school employees take them around Washington, but we did not bring the kids together during that time. They did not arrive at the school. They stayed at a hotel in Washington and we took them around 
but no adults from the school or kids at the school had engagement. So that was in January going, wow, some folks with ties to China, even at that time, were literally begging us who were parents in our school, talking about parental input and right. parental rights and education. Please, for the love of God, don't bring these kids together. We don't trust what we're hearing in Wuhan. It's worse than what we believe is being reported. And so as superintendent, it got to me and I said, let's press pause. And we, within a month, were canceling international field trips. Then probably closer to early March, we started to cancel all field trips. And then, of course, I believe it was March 13th is when we ultimately uh, took a pause that we thought would be two weeks and ended up being a whole lot longer. Surely wasn't two weeks. No. Surely wasn't two weeks. No, it wasn't. So COVID cases and COVID really got a foothold in the U.S. and here locally, forcing schools to go virtual. And Fairfax County schools struggled to do this. In April 2020, tech issues, you know, didn't let students and parents log on and the system had to actually cancel classes. What happened and also, you know, what went wrong during that time? Yeah. Well, what happened is our our world went upside down. And the reality is, were we prepared to have this go completely all virtual? Uh, It's clear the record shows that we weren't. But you know what? Sometimes in a pandemic, what's more important or in any major event, it's what you do after you face the reality of having, um, having a mistake. And we were all trying our best. I know folks after two weeks wanted the light to flip right back on and it worked, but some of our systems hadn't been stress tested as well as they needed to be. We had old technology. We had just started doing devices for high school kids. Some systems were already K-12 and we had technology infrastructure for video communications that was frankly behind the times. Mm. So we had to make changes. We, We changed our vendor over that next year. We changed leadership. I made some leadership decisions. We ultimately provided a strong virtual uh, interaction and education during that time. It wasn't perfect. It was longer than any of us would have liked, but we were balancing keeping our kids and staff safe. And when life and death is in your hands, Mm. when it is in your hands and it was in my hands, the life and death of 180,000 plus kids and by extension their families, a couple of million people, I still look back. I wish we'd gotten in a little bit earlier. I had a plan to get in at the semester of that first year, but uh, we had that first, uh, one of the first of many surges that happened around that time. And with the vaccination on the horizon, there was just intense pressure. Gosh, we've come this far. Can't we just wait a couple more weeks and months? I think it would have made a big difference to be able to have gone at the semester, but, uh, you know, different decisions were made. And one of the things we've got to do in public service moving forward, and for kids, frankly, in any walk of life, you know, after an NFL play, we don't take a timeout and just watch the players sit there and scream at each other for the next five minutes. It's a 20, 30-second timeout. You regroup, you call a new play, and you move on. Mm. We're spending too much time calling timeouts and pointing arrows in different directions and wanting to lay blame. And the blame and shame game is not how we move forward in education. It's not how we move forward in business. It's not how we move this country forward. And we've got to move away from that. You just described it a little bit, but this is a very divisive topic, COVID, school closures, mitigation measures. I'm wondering, looking back here, 
what your message would be both to parents of students who feel we should have been back in class after those two weeks and also secondarily what your message is to those parents who said we we went back way too soon. Yeah, well, this is the thing. This is what I would try to say. Our Declaration of Independence, and I'm not kidding. This is the social studies teacher in me. (laughs) It said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pandemic was all about life versus liberty, freedom to do what I want and to return to doing what I wanted to do before the pandemic with the issue of life. What's the impact on my life and on the life of others? We had parents up really three, four weeks in. I want to be back. My kids are good. I'm, I can work from home. We had other parents who were still scared, who had lost family members. Yeah and were scared about losing more. So it's this was a collective exercise in empathy, and uh, I'm not sure we passed the test as well as I had hoped. And we've got to build that back, and I think we struggled to do as well as we could have, and part of it was trying to really understand and bring voices together. And we had solutions like everybody needs to be six feet apart, but bring every kid back every day. I went on national TV and I told Dana Bash on CNN, it's not possible to Mm. bring every kid back and keep them at six foot distance. I need five more Pentagons. So listen, that's just basic math. If there's a different way, tell me what the way is. But we were still working on figuring out what the actual risk was, how we came up with six feet. I mean, the public, in a sense, got to see um, the other side of the curtain for education, but also for medicine, Mm. for science, and understand not everything is black and white. Right. Not everything is a bumper sticker uh, slogan. And we've turned our politics sometimes too much into the one-liner instead of the more nuanced conversation that most people, I think, are still dying to have but have tuned out because – all they're expecting to hear now um, is that 20-second soundbite. So I really appreciate you guys doing this podcast to hear a point and a counterpoint. And I think we've got to do that and then help people see there may be actually more that we can uh, come to common ground on. Earlier, you made an analogy to football. There's a penalty, there's a timeout, and then the next play. So we had this penalty, right, the pandemic. And a 2001 report showed that, you know, students' grades got worse because of online learning. So yep. penalty, right? Timeout. What's the next play? Yeah. We're doubling down on what we know what works in school. Additional high dosage tutoring. Regular classroom instruction that's high quality tier one that's engaging. Not just drill and kill, but project-based learning, inquiry learning. We call them presentations of learning. We piloted in about 30 or 40 schools that really showcase portrait of a graduate. You build a presentation based on solving a community or a local problem, and you share this presentation of learning. We were about to expand it right as the pandemic uh, broke, and we need to double down on that. We don't need to go back and double down on testing. Kids are never going in their last breath tell you that what made the difference for them mm. is a test. And let me say this. Tests still have a place. But the obsession with testing has not moved the needle in education for over 50 years, and it won't. And the pandemic was the biggest wake-up call that the future of this country is not through a standardized test because there was not a standardized answer for every situation in the pandemic. In fact, 
The truth is the answer, A, B, C, or D, often depended on who you were, who the person was taking the test. Mm. A standardized test assumes that the answer is the same for everyone. So the pandemic pulled down the fallacy that test-only public education is going to make America great. Mm. What's going to make America great is public education that has kids come together and solve community problems, solve state problems, solve national problems, and kids have the answers. We now take a break, and after it, Brabrand doubles down on the importance of the changes he oversaw to the admissions process at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve this show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We return now to our conversation with outgoing Fairfax County Public School Superintendent Scott Brabrand. And WTOP Scott Gelman is staying with us throughout the interview. We now shift away from COVID to school safety. Something they're talking about a lot on the Sunday shows now is gun legislation. And it's something that we spoke about recently. Several Northern Virginia jurisdictions, superintendents signed on to a letter basically urging Congress to do something, right, for, for lack of a better phrase. I'm wondering, looking back on your experiences, what you feel uh, you did to help contribute to school safety and what is still left to be done, not just in, in Fairfax County, but across the country. Yeah, you know, gun gun control is, is, is a huge issue. Well, first, let me speak as an educator, because I think that's why I was invited here today. I was in Lynchburg right after Sandy Hook, and I was on Governor McDonald's commission for school safety. Mm. And we did make some changes there. We brought threat assessment to all of our schools. We got additional dollars and, and state grants for schools to continue to strengthen their schools on the outside, but also strengthen it from the inside with more mental health supports. After uh, Parklawn, we did more work. I was superintendent in Fairfax. We upgraded our locks, added additional cameras, and did our security training, which was on a three-year cycle to an annual cycle so that everyone in our schools was getting training on the latest tabletop scenarios. Um, and if you don't train on something, you're not prepared if something happens. So we've done that work. Uh, there continues to be work that I think uh, we can do. We're also needing to look at additional mental health supports. You know, we've got a, one counselor for three, 400 kids in the mm. Commonwealth of Virginia as a ratio. Come on. You think about you having a responsibility for uh, counseling 300 kids and guiding them through all their school courses and helping them out. It's just too many. We need to provide more professionals. One silver lining in the pandemic, more people understood that mental health is, is not, a, a, not a bad word and the need for having mental health is just the same need for having good physical health. 
and to have good mental health, you need to reach out, you need to talk to people, and you may need professionals to help you do that, just like you go to see a doctor for a physical each year, having a check-in with someone for your mental health. When you took over, one of the the things that uh, was seemingly top of list for you was giving more opportunity to black educators and really improving diversity among staff. So in that vein, I want to ask you what, how you feel that, did you accomplish that looking back? How did that go? And what sort of systems are in place to continue to address that even as you you step away here? We've made real progress in expanding the amount of our teachers of color. You know, we had, when I started, maybe 25 schools with not a single black educator. Mm. That number's down to three in our latest Goal 3 report, looking back on last year. I think every kid really benefits from the opportunity to see someone like them in the role. That doesn't mean all of us, if you have a passion for teaching, if you have a passion for kids and a passion for your content, you can transmit that content to any kid beyond your own identity, beyond your own um, ethnicity. But it's also important for our kids to see role models. I was just interviewing a principal finalist, can't say who it is, but she shared growing up in uh, Maryland to be the only person of her ethnic background in the school and how isolating it was, except in the lunchroom, she saw one person who looked like her and that was the highlight of her day. So we can't underestimate the power of kids to want to see role models. And public education, you know, was at the forefront of the political debates during the race for governor in Virginia. Yes, it was. It, it was a huge galvanizing issue, and you know, people felt strongly about it, especially over the conversation of what gets taught in classrooms. So how right. important is the conversation over critical race theory and just the teaching of American history? Well, first of all, let's just be absolutely clear. Parents play a key role in the life, the key role in the education of their children. And then schools are partners with parents in doing that. Mm. Um, We don't need to take one line from one debate and decide that that's the law of the land in this country or in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We are committed in Fairfax County Public Schools, and I believe across the Commonwealth of Virginia, all superintendents are committed to bringing their community in, talking about what good teaching and learning is, and getting parental input. One of the things that we need to make sure we're doing And as we teach our history, history can bring us together. It doesn't need to be divisive. Yes, now, there are controversial topics in our history, and there will be controversy as long as there's two or more people on this earth. Sure. Um, But we need to separate the idea that controversial topics, of course, have a home in our American story, but they don't need to be divisive. And if taught right with a skilled teacher and facilitator— It's really about letting kids hear the diverse perspectives and come to their own conclusions. And I do believe that we can continue to teach and that the great majority of our teachers are teaching a history that tells the contributions and struggles of all Americans. They need to hear the good, the bad, and ugly of our teaching. And Governor Yunkin, our new governor from Virginia, has said that. And I am excited for seeing Governor Yunkin deliver on that vision of teaching our entire history and using that history to give us insight into how we need to lead now, which is really about bridging and bringing people together and finding common ground. Before we uh, ask you for your last words and what you're looking forward to in your new role here, 
Um, just want to ask you about Thomas Jefferson and the admission process, and there have been oh, okay. lawsuits, <laughs> and seems like there are two camps. There are folks who feel that the changes were discriminatory, and then on the other side, you have uh, admitted families who feel that the changes gave them an improved opportunity. Um, what is your What are your parting words regarding the proposals that you oversaw and your administration oversaw, um, what you were hoping to accomplish, and what the future holds there? Loaded question, I know. No, no. It's, uh, maybe it's saving the best for last. You know, the best. People see TJ as the best school in the country, and maybe that's a blessing and a curse because for some, um, we've created it that it's the only school that their child can go to, and if not, their dreams can't happen. Their dreams can happen in every Fairfax County public school. And I think what we need to say is the American dream through public education is for every kid. TJ's been around now 40 years, and over 40 years, decade after decade, less than 1% of kids economically disadvantaged getting in. Oh, we have a $100 application fee every year. Yeah, you could go and ask and get a discount, but who really wants to come? That That's just, to me, like the pull tax of old. You want to vote? Go pay a tax. You mm. want to take this test? Pay 100 bucks. We'll right. see. We drop the application fee. The number of free and reduced lunch kids goes from 1% to 2% to 25% this past year, and I think we'll be close to that number uh, this year. A standardized test that we know some people can go and get tutoring for, and there's nothing wrong uh, with folks you know, understanding what the rules are and trying to give their kid every advantage they can to do well on that test. The irony is we went away from that standardized test, and guess what? That company went out of business after we stopped going with that. So what does that tell you? We had a whole enterprise just around how to get in TJ. Is that what we're trying to do? I think what we're trying to do, we had some middle schools that never had a single kid get in. You mean to tell me there's not excellence in every middle school and every zip code in this country? This has never been about discrimination against one particular group. It's really been about bringing everybody to the table. And I think the biggest danger that we have to look at is saying that the American dream is only for some and not for all. TJ is for all. It's a public school with public dollars. And every kid who has the passion and the aptitude, and we're assessing both, ought to have the opportunity to go there. And frankly, from every neighborhood. And we've been able for the first time ever to have all middle schools represented we did see some gains in our um, African-American and Latino student population. Uh, the great majority of, of students remain Asian that get in each year. And we used race-neutral means. We were race-blind in our admissions system. And I think we've got to figure out how we open doors for everyone. And that doesn't mean we have to shut doors for others to do that. That's just something uh, some folks uh, just don't see it that way. You know, we today look at outrage at the Taliban in Afghanistan that mm. would leave women out of schools, right? How horrific is that? Why would we be against continuing to try to open our doors for all kids from all backgrounds at TJ if it truly is the number one high school, right? Because that is a message that everybody belongs, even in the highest 
levels of education uh, opportunity. Everybody belongs and has a place there. And uh, I feel good about what I did. I feel we did the right thing, and I think history will prove us right, that we were on the right side of history. I, I would just say for those who, who don't agree with that, we can agree to respectfully disagree, but the accusations that were made against me personally, against members of the school board, were unfair or unjust. Hate won't make America great. Hate isn't going to make anything great, and we can't hate our way to greatness in this country, and uh, we've got to figure out ways to walk away from hate and find ways to have people fall in love. And uh, again, I fell in love with education 30 years ago. It's been a great love story, and we need to continue to know that the future of this country uh, runs through the future of public education. Fairfax County Superintendent Scott Brabrand, thank you for joining us today. And we wish you well as you start your new job leading the Virginia Association of School Superintendents starting tomorrow. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so hi, I'm back. Uh, Before we go. (laughs) Hey, Megan. (laughs) Hello. Um, Before we go, I wanted to talk about July 4th because I am kind of geeking out over my plan. Let's hear it. Okay. I'm going to Mount Vernon and I'm allegedly meeting George Washington. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, Mount Vernon's having this whole rollout of really cool things on uh, July 4th, but literally one of the bullet points on the website goes, meet George Washington. I'm like, stop. Just like. Not addressing the time like, constraints. I feel like I should pay more. I feel like there there needs to be more involved. Um, no, but they're doing their own like daytime fireworks. So if you're, I mean, obviously there's going to be fireworks going off right all weekend long. Right. God bless our pets because they're going to be having a hard oh, time with the long weekend. But guys. Um, they're doing like a wreathing ceremony with the Sons of the American Revolution. They're doing like live music. And um, I don't know. It sounds kind of like it's going to be, if you are into that sort of history. Oh, yeah. It is. That's the place. Oh, yeah. I'm imagining full reenactments, uh, wigs, powder, all that stuff. So just saying, be watching our Instagram because I might drop a few posts. Wow, you have been warned. (laughs) Just in case you wanted some Washington in your day on July 4th. Um, And that'll do it for us for the DMV download. We are sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. And we've got some exciting news. There's actually a survey out there for the DMV download where you can weigh in on what you think about this podcast and how we're doing. You can find this survey and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at wtop.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night.